Hey, good morning. I'm James Adcock, pastor of Bible Baptist Church. This is Ms. Darby Bell Adcock, uh, my daughter-in-law. Yeah. And uh, we're here on Next Steps, our first podcast. And this is an idea that kind of was created out of a different, many different mindsets from people within the church and also uh, Malachi and Darby and I talking about different things each week. And so the idea of this, Darby, is kind of take questions from yesterday's message or service and kind of try to help people out on their next steps of faith on Monday morning. So, you know, we can look at it, we can uh, evaluate it, and we can ask questions, and we can try to help people out. What do you think about that? I think it's a great plan, and we just, like like Pastor James said, we just had this idea. Um, we just think it's great. There's so much information on Sundays. There's just some of the sermons, are just, they're so rich, and it's so hard um, to just kind of mull over that and to keep that going throughout the week. So we just kind of thought that we would ask some questions um, on Mondays that could just uh, make things a little bit clearer. You know, we were in Israel not too long ago, and one of the things I think um, George really harped on from under the fig tree was shepherding. So last night I was uh, I was watching a Steve Harvey video and he was talking about somebody he had spent time with a billionaire, and uh, the billionaire says when you're planning for three hundred, you got to shoot for three thousand. When you're shooting for three thousand, you got to shoot for three hundred thousand. And I think sometimes in church we kind of have it. Well, let's shoot for a hundred and we aim for a hundred. And in shepherding, we're trying to aim these messages not just at people here, but people on Facebook, people on radio, and taking their questions, but we realize not everybody has time to go back and rewatch these over and over. So if we can give a 30 minute, 25, 30 minute segment on here are the highlights and here's some of the questions people may have had and maybe go into some details about some other stuff, we may be able to help people in the process for shepherding. Yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's the important part about this. So that's why we're calling it Next Steps and uh, to help you out as well. Yeah, so. and we're gonna get ready to go over just kind of, Pastor James is just, just gonna give us an overview of what the sermon was on Sunday. Um, but if you guys have any questions, the, the hope for this this is, is if you have questions that after the, the sermon on Sunday, you're just like, oh, I wish I, I knew a little bit more, or what was that again? You guys can go ahead and follow the Facebook Live and put your questions there, or you can direct message us. Uh, but we'll try to answer those questions there and just take it a little bit deeper. You know, one of the things that, that I've always tried to do is I've tried to understand the context of the, of the scripture. I'm not saying get a 100% right, but if you aim for nothing, you hit it every time. So it's always been something astounding to me of Jesus' statement in John 7, verse 37 and 38, where he specifically says uh, here, if any of you are thirsty, uh, let, him, let him come unto me and drink. I'm trying to find my verse here. Let him come and drink. And then he says, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And obviously, coming out of Israel, realizing Egypt only got three inches of water a day, then we get into Jordan, there's a little more fruitation, and then we got into Israel, and it kind of looked like America. But this whole idea of how fertile Egypt was without all this rain and how water was life. And I'm wondering, hey, is John picking up on something here? Is Jesus picking up on something here? So I began to look at the first six chapters before John chapter 7 and just looking for the context of water. Mm -hmm. So we've done a series on rivers of life. John chapter 1, John's in the beginning. So we have God creating order out of chaos. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Uh, goes back to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So God, in the same way, when he created th this world out of chaos, 
John is saying, here's Jesus in this chaotic world, and he's going to bring order to it. So then in John chapter 2, we looked at how Jesus can bring joy into an embarrassing moment. Um, here's this bride, here's this bridegroom. It's not wedding receptions like you and I are used to. We just had your wedding last year, and I think your reception was about three, four hours. Yeah. You know, we've probably been to some others, maybe been a little longer, maybe been a little shorter, depending upon the, the bride and the bridegroom. But in Jesus' day, they could last days. And one of the significant things was wine. And typically, they, they served the best wine, and as the days went on and people drank more, the wine got more watered down. Well, when Jesus' mother Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, they're out of wine, Jesus says, hey, my hour's not yet come. And then Mary has this astounding statement, well, just do what he says to the servants. Well, there were six containers about, um, that could contain 20 to 30 gallons apiece. And so Jesus said, fill them up, and the servants filled them up to the brim. He says, pour it out for the governor of the feast. And the moment they begin to pour it out, the water turns to wine. And I think what John is illustrating for us is Jesus is not only the sweetest, but Jesus also brings abundance. Mm -hmm. And so we had Jesus taking this embarrassing moment for the bride and the groom and the family, and he turns it into something sweet, something awesome, but also in an abundance of it. Yeah. So, again, we're, we're dealing with water. So we dealt with water from chaos. We're dealing with water from wine. Now we come to Nicodemus, who likely, from all the people we have dealt with in the book of John up to this point, these first three chapters, may be the brightest one that we come into contact with, but at the same time, maybe one of the ones who continues to hit his head against a brick wall because he's having a hard time understanding faith. And don't we all? <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, but here's this guy. He's, he, had, he, had, he had to stand before three people and answer questions about the law before he could become a Pharisee. That's how deep this was. Um, he had to dedicate himself to the laws of the scribes. So if you take the commandments of God and... I don't know. I don't remember the exact number, but let's say, you know, somewhere in the book of in the, in the Torah, that let's say there's between 300 and 600 commands. They came in and they added multiple commands on top of those commands, so people could follow them more clearly. I mean, as you and I are in Israel, we're standing in an elevator in Jerusalem, and what's the sign say? Sabbath. It was a Sabbath elevator, yep. and so so people wouldn't have to work on the Sabbath, Shabbat. They by pressing a button that you and I would consider every day easy peasy, lemon easy, whatever that phrase is, um, push the button and we'll go to our floor. Well, on on Sabbath in Israel, and maybe in different other places too, where there's Jewish communities, they have an elevator, opens up every floor, goes to every floor, closes on every floor. If I need to get to eight, I got to get on whatever floor I'm on, and I got to go to every floor until I get to eight. Without touching the button. Without touching the button. Because I can't work. Yep. Can't work. And that's, that's the Levitical idea. That's the Pharisaic idea, I'm sorry. The Pharisaic idea to help people not work. Because pressing that button would have been considered work on, on yeah. Sabbath. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that Jesus came to say, that's nonsense. Yeah. Uh, of all the laws that God gave and all the laws man put on top of that, I think it would be so much easier to just go back to what God said and try to live by that than to try to live by the laws of what the Pharisees put into, into, into practice. Rules and regulations. Yes. And so Jesus, many of the miracles he did were on the Sabbath for that reason alone. He healed uh, the John chapter 5. He heals the man with infirmities for 38 years and 
In another passage, he heals a man with a withered arm on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees were always on him because he did these things on the Sabbath. And he, you know, and we'll talk about it here in a few minutes, but Jesus is like, I'm doing my father's work. And that over exceeds what you think. And so that was an amazing thing that, that Jesus did. But back to Nicodemus here in John chapter 3, he, he keeps hitting this brick wall because in his mind, he's thinking, I don't need this relationship with God because I was born Jewish. I'm a son of Abraham. I'm a Pharisee. I, I know the law. In fact, I can even define, I'm in the part of the Sanhedrin, the 70, 35 from the Sadducees, 35 from the Pharisees. They make up the 70 called the Sanhedrin, who are the, basically, they're the U.S. Supreme Court in the Jewish society. And so he's a ruler of the Jews in that way. And he's coming to Jesus, and here's John comparing comparison at night. He comes to Jesus at night. John chapter 4, Jesus waits for the woman at the well at, night, at daytime. So we have light and darkness. And so it's amazing in John chapter 1 how much of the gospel of John is really in John chapter 1 where he says he came into the world darkness he was the light, but the, but the darkness comprehended it not. And here we have Nicodemus at night not comprehending what John is trying to say. So his idea was, why do I need God in a relationship when, I have, when God's already picked me? And Jesus like, you don't get it. you got to be born of water. And so here again, here's our water reference, born of water. And so any woman who's ever had a baby knows her water has to break before the baby is born. And so Jesus uses... Four ideas. He uses birth, uh, he uses the wind, he uses the brazen serpent, and then he uses light and darkness. And so he's trying to illustrate, he, and he even tells Nicodemus at one point, he says, here you are a ruler of the Jews and you don't understand this. Because in Nicodemus's mind, he wasn't lost. He wasn't condemned. And what Jesus is trying to understand, get him to understand, get us to understand is this. Anytime we're born, any person who's born, male or female, they're born dead spiritually. They need a resurrection in their life. And so at some point in this person's life, they got to come to a point where I need God. And Nicodemus like, I don't know why I need God if God's already chosen me. And Jesus is like, no, no, you don't, you're not understanding it. It's like physical birth, water. But there needs to be a spiritual birth of, from the Spirit. And it's like, you may not understand it, but it's like you can hear the wind, but you don't know which way it's going to go or what damage it's going to do. Or it's like the brazen serpent where the Israelites were uh, bit by these snakes and they had to look at the brazen serpent to be healed. Or it's like light and darkness. And so Nicodemus, I think he gets it. Not, not, not in John chapter 3. Yeah. <laughs> but later on in, in the end of his life, it's, it's Nicodemus who's, who's there with Jesus. It's Nicodemus with jo Joseph of Arimathea burying Jesus. I think Nicodemus finally gets it. But it's a but like in many of our relationships, it's a process. Yes. You know, you've gone through process. I've gone through a process. And, that, and that's what I think Nicodemus did. Mm -hmm. So then we come to this very controversial figure in John chapter 4. And again, I love John. I probably appreciate so much more studying these first six chapters like we have because it's all about comparison. Mm -hmm. So we have night and we have day. We have Nicodemus coming to Jesus. We have Jesus waiting for the woman mm -hmm. of Samaria. We both know that he's a male, she's a female. I think they're both brilliant. Mm -hmm. You know, I think they're both even, maybe even educated to a certain extent. I don't know how much education she has, we don't even know her name. And that's another comparison. We have Nicodemus who is known, we have her who's unknown, we don't even know her name to this day. Um, we have Jesus being approached by Nicodemus, we have Jesus waiting for her. We have 
Nicodemus conversing with Jesus but not understanding him. We have her conversing with Jesus and understanding him, which brought up the key idea that morning was Jesus is the only one who can create identity for a relationship with God. So the Samaritans had this idea that this mountain in John chapter 4, and I, I always forget the name of the mountain when I'm uh, preaching, and part of the reason why that is is because um, I think it's kind of hard for me to pronounce if I remember right. So, um, but, you know, here's this woman, and she, she's like, verse 4 says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and, and, and I forget the mountain's name at this point, and you say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So she's looking at places. And she's like, you don't get it. It's a person. And the person's in front of you. And I'm, and I'm kind of paraphrasing this, but, but she's like, it's not the mountain. It's not Jerusalem. It's me. And she's like, you're the Christ? And he says, I am. And then she goes back and tells all the men of the city everything she's done. Now, Darby, one of the things that we have done is we have scrutinized this woman. And one of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago was we have looked at her through Eastern eyes. Oh, five, five marriages. She's living with a man now. But we don't know. We don't know how old was she when she first got married. Was it a land deal? Was it an animal deal? Was it some kind of other financial deal for her family? She could have been so young. So young. Husbands could have died. Husbands could have, could have divorced her. We don't know. And fun fact about this, back, back in that time, women could not divorce their husbands at all. Only the man could at that time. So she, you know, and it's also been said as well, she didn't just have five husbands, yes, but she could have been, been divorced five times for burning the bread, for, for not being able to have children. We don't know. For things today, we would, we would scrutinize men for doing to their wives may have happened to her. You know, and so we don't know who she, but, but here's the thing that's beautiful about the story. Jesus knew. And Jesus doesn't treat her like she's scandalous. He, she's not like this idea that she comes into the well and Jesus is there rescuing her because she's in this, you know, this, she has this horrible reputation. It doesn't seem to point to that at all. When, he, when the woman who was caught in adultery comes before Jesus, he says, go and sin no more. We don't hear that here. When, when we hear, when we look at John chapter 5 with the man of infirmity for 38 years, Jesus said, sin no more. But we don't hear that in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. But we have added our own projections of what we think she was. Yeah. And we have basically made her the, 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 the whore yeah. of Samaria. What we actually see is Jesus being incredibly tender with her and very intentional. Um, something also that we... Uh, kind of went over with this story, Women at the Well. Um, women also were never, not only was it not permitted for men and, really, men and women to really speak together, unless, you, unless a woman was speaking to her husband, that kind of wasn't really there, and they would have never been talking Bible or theology. Right. Um, that was another thing that was just wild. Yeah. And um, just, just how he's dealing with her so tenderly, and at this time, this, these women or especially this woman here, um, really anchored in shame in the sense of just women were, were treated as property, just like you said, they, you know, men would um, not just sell their daughters, but it, not in that kind of sense, but just more like a... Invest. Yeah, just very much more like a business deal. So these, these women didn't have a lot of value in their society at that time. Yeah. And Jesus is being very tender and intentional, talking Bible and theology with her. One of, one of the things that people who don't, like to read the Bible, and people who don't like to attend churches, 
one of their complaints is the Bible, the church, God, Jesus, the spirit, all are detrimental to women. But when you read the Bible, when you tend a right type of preaching, gospel preaching type church, when you are around people who are truly trying to serve God, you're not going to find women getting beat up. You're not going to find some of these ridiculous ideas that the woman is under the man and in and, and, and the essence she is below him. We're, we're made different. I mean, we, I think we all know that. We all have different anatomy. We all have different personalities, and we have different ways we care and different ways we show emotion. I get all that stuff. There, there's science behind being a female and science behind being a male. But you'll never find the scriptures where, where Jesus is rude, and people may say, well, he called his mom woman. That's culturally acceptable. That was culturally respectful. we got to quit with the eastern eyes and get into the western eyes of the scripture. You know, and so a lot of people say, well, you know, Jesus probably shouldn't have talked with her alone at the well, but he's God. And this is the amazing thing to me about this, and I, and I wish I could remember who, who shared this with me. Of all the people in the world that Jesus said, I want to introduce me to the world with, wasn't a man. Yeah. It was a woman from Samaria. We don't have her name. We don't know her history. We don't have her past other than little bits and pieces. And Jesus says she qualifies. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if, if, if God is that graceful and that merciful and that forgiving for whoever, male or female, not just a Samaritan woman, he's using us today. And, th and that's the beauty of that whole message there in John chapter 4. And there's something called, I mean, i got to be careful because I could dive into a few of these stories. Um, just because there's so many pieces, again, and I guess that's what today is for. Yeah. Um, but, you know, especially when we, some of the women at our church, we did a study um, when we are specifically looking at um, when Jesus and his interaction with women in these gospels, one of the things that he is doing, there's something called biblical justice, and that's something that's anytime the honorable reaches down to the shameful and lifts them out into a place of honor. Um, and we really just we really see that in this story here. So I mean, let's think about comparison with that idea. Yeah. Nicodemus is probably on the highest pedestal that a man could be on, Pharisee ruler of the Jews. Yeah. John makes it plain. Here's Nicodemus coming to Jesus tonight. He's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. Now we have someone on the other end of the spectrum. Culturally speaking, she's a Samaritan. Culturally speaking, she's a woman. Culturally speaking, nobody gave her a chance. And here's Jesus, and he's like, I'm going to bring her here. And Nicodemus, in our eyes, if we look at kind of respectfully, we kind of look at Nicodemus and say, wow, th this guy didn't get it. And we look at her and say, wow, look how she got it. And I think John, again, and his expertise under the, under, the, under the Lord's impressing was able to give this to us. But if we just kind of read the Bible, we don't always capture that. Yeah. So go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say something that we'll, we'll continue to get into, something that we also uh, wanted to bring to this, uh, this Monday morning podcast, with just the importance of context matters. And I don't know, you know, as we, we're going to go over some of the stuff that, we, that was preached on Sunday, uh, but what hopefully you're going to see at this thread of context matters, the historical context, um, there are multiple things that we, with our Western culture eyes, we, we just don't see. And there's not, there's not enough time on Sunday mornings to always see that. Um, so we hope that we can bring that to you guys here with, yeah. whether it's the woman at the well talking about um, the pool of Bethesda coming mm -hmm. up here, 
there are certain things that we just would never see and there are certain things that we can either, it's so easy to put things on the woman at the well, talking about the pool of Bethesda, whatever it is, it's so easy for us to just kind of be like, oh, I'm, I know that. And really, if we had had the cultural context, we'd be seeing things with completely different eyes and the Eastern eyes of, of which the Bible was written. Yeah. You know, scriptures, the Bible says the Bible's alive. You know, it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the dividing sunder, soul and spirit, and discerning the thoughts and tense of the heart. Living, active. But people say, well, it's archaic, and it doesn't, doesn't talk to us in today's culture. And I, and I totally disagree with that, because if we, if we take the time to ask the questions, we take the time, why does Jesus, you know, John chapter 5, why is Jesus going to Jerusalem? Why is Jesus at the pool of Bethesda? Why is there a man with infirmity of 38 years? Okay, why is, of all the people, and John says here, I think in verse 3, that there were many. There was a multitude of people there with all kinds of different infirmities. But why does he choose the one with the infirmity for 38 years? And again, like the woman of Samaria, we are not given a name, we're not given a past. So, so here's John, and it's interesting because John chapter 3, Jesus is approached. John chapter 4, Jesus waits. John chapter 5, Jesus approaches. So we have this comparison. And so John's like, here, let me share a story with you about Jesus when he waits. Let me share, or when, when he's approached. Let me share a story with you when Jesus waits. Let me share a story with you when Jesus takes initiative. And so we have initiative here in John chapter 5. And so these are just questions that you ask um, and that I may ask throughout the week as I'm preparing this message. Obviously, you can't come in and just start in these questions every Sunday morning because people are like, what are you talking about? Where are you going? And, and so you, you try to have some sort of clarity when you come in Sunday morning, but obviously we leave some things hanging, and that's some things that we want to talk about. Sure. And also, to just again, to just kind of paint the picture of what our intention for this podcast is to, something that we learned in Israel that we, um, that's really a rabbinic way of that when rabbis would study the text um, they would ask so many questions of it, and that is just not the way that we have been taught. It was right. kind of just, you know, this is this is the truth, and it, yes, it is. But there are so many things that are really just mind-boggling in here that if we really ask, we're like, of course, it doesn't make sense because it's not our culture. It what what, what is what is it? The Bible was written. It wasn't exactly written to us, but it was, it was written for us. Yeah, it wasn't written to us, but it was written for us, for absolutely. And there are so many questions in there. So as we kind of dive in and ask, ask questions, we'd like to just encourage you guys, ask questions of the text, because we might not have the answers. Pastor right. James might not have all the answers, right. um, but we'll do our best to answer them. And, and that's, a, that's an interesting point, because when a rabbi was asked a question he couldn't answer, he got excited. Yeah. Where we, get, we, we feel embarrassed. Well, I'm, I'm ashamed I don't know the answer, but, but the Jewish rabbis, he's excited because he gets to learn something new about God. And, that, and if we take that approach, and you may ask a very difficult question, and you, or you may think a question you're asking is very simple, and we may come back and say, man, we just don't know the answer to this. It's too difficult right now for us to put into words. And that's not, that's not shame or that's not uh, embarrassment. That's basically saying, man, we get to learn something new about God. Yeah. And, and that's, that's an awesome thing about, about God's word. Because... We can have 10 lifetimes, we're still not going to know everything we need to know. We're, we're, we're hitting the tip of the iceberg as deep as we can go, uh, but uh, we, want to, we want to make sure that we're taking people with us. And I think that's something that would really, that's really going to help 
the big C church, us as a community. I can't tell you how many times either I've been asked or I've asked somebody of like, oh, well, you know where that verse is? And I see somebody either shaking their head or I've done it. I'm like, yeah, yeah I know where that's at. Yeah. No clue. Yeah. And there's there's no shame in that whatsoever. It's We should be iron sharpening iron, refining each other, um, and growing together as a body. There's, there's nothing wrong with asking questions, and right. we want to encourage that. I think that's why John's book is such a good book because I think I think John, who's the last writer of the four, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke. So you got Matthew who wrote about the words of God. That's what he emphasized. He emphasized God's word, uh, God's Jesus's words. Mark he emphasized Jesus's works, and then Luke he emphasized Jesus's chronology. So I think John comes in and he's like, okay, we got the words, we got the works, we got the chronology. What don't we have? I don't think we have some of the questions. And so I think John comes in, and I think maybe John through his ministry, because depending upon whether you look at young John, which is late 80s, or old John, which is early 90s, when he wrote the book of John, I think John's had a ministry where he's seen his brother be beheaded. He's seen Peter crucified. He's seen Paul crucified. The church has been distributed because of Stephen's martyrdom, and Saul, before he turned to Paul, uh, um, became a convert. Uh, he has seen the church just kind of explode in that way. He's seen the destruction of the temple in 70. So the culture he's talking to is totally different. It's a Hellenistic culture. So it means it's been touched by Greek, uh, Alexander the Great, to be specific forward. Just for some of our listeners who hear 80s and 90s, can you just specify? Oh. <laughs> Which, because that's not these last 80s and 90s. No, no, his age. His age. So, uh, he, you know, a lot of people have different ideas when John wrote the book of John. But there's kind of two prominent ideas that he was in his late 80s or in his early 90s. Uh, he was definitely in the city of Ephesus. And so he was definitely a pastor there. He was also, you know, he was uh, persecuted under Domitian. He was put in hot boiling oil. He survived it. And then he's exiled to the island of Patmos where we get the book of Revelation. Then he comes back to Ephesus not only to continue ministry, but that's where he will die. And so depending upon where you're at on that, is, I think John had a ministry where all these people had this stuff, but I wonder if people came to him and said, hey, what did Jesus do here? Yeah. Or how come Jesus did it here? And John's like, I'm going to write about that. And instead of writing from nativity, he wrote from the beginning. Yeah. And so that's why we have different stories, different looks, different ideas from this great book we call the book of John, because John is coming, and I think that, and to some extent, he's looking at the ministry, and he says, okay, Matthew hit the, Matthew hit the words, don't need to do that. Mark hit the works, don't need to do that. Matt, or Luke hit the chronology. Don't need to do that. What I need to hit on is the conflict. Yeah. What was Jesus dealing with? And Jesus was dealing with faith. Jesus was dealing with faith principles. So we have Nicodemus struggling with faith. We have the woman of Samaria getting it. We have this man we don't know. Mm-hmm. And so it's just it's an amazing book that has so many different things that we could spend a lifetime yeah. studying. Yeah. So I have a question um, before we get into this um, this chapter 5 here. Why do you think it is important for us to know about John, to know more about Jesus. Because I've, I've had that, too, even when you're kind of rattling off of, this was John's life and this is what he did, sometimes my own mind, I'm like, why would I need to know that? And why is that relevant to what the Bible says? When I, w- when I, was, in, when I was a teenager, I was told, well, let me say it this way, it was implied that teenagers can't serve God. And it was applied that because teenagers need to experiment. Mm -hmm. Teenagers need to experience the world to a certain extent so they can decide if they want God or not want God. And so one day I'm I'm turning 13, right? And so I'm in youth group, and it's a Sunday morning. 
And then we have this guy who's a chalk artist. I know they're not as popular today, okay. but he was a, you know, they use the purple light, blue light, what a black light. And like they, Mary Poppins sort of thing? Like jumping with the chalk thing? Yeah, you know, they draw something throughout a message and they put a light on it and there's a oh, cross right. behind there or something, you know, some of that nature. And so he's talking to us, but he's, he's using a dry erase board behind him and he's talking, he's writing different stuff down. And he, and he said, there's this implication today that teenagers can't serve God. And he said, I just want you to know you can serve God. So... John is interesting to me because John was probably in his late teens, middle teens or late teens, when he became a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and so he was originally a disciple of John the Baptist. So John points him to Jesus, and once he points him to Jesus, John's like, well, I don't need to follow the one who's pointing me. I need to follow the one who was pointed to. So he begins to follow Jesus. So John's at the wedding of Canaan. You know, there's only like six disciples at that time at the time of the wedding. Um, he's the disciple that Jesus you know, is, is referred to as the, as the one whom Jesus beloved. He's the one that rested upon Jesus' chest when they're at the Lord's Supper. He's in a place of honor at the Lord's Supper where you have John here and then you got Peter in a position of service. And that's the reason why, you know, this idea of washing the feet came into play because Peter didn't do it. And so there were two types of servants in that day. There was a servant who, who served and there was a servant who washed feet. And, and it was a little above Peter at that moment. Um, but John is interesting to study his life. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me that as a young person, when he was told that Jesus was resurrected, he's the first one to the tomb. Peter, as an older man, is the second one to the tomb, as far as the disciples go. And John, as a young person, says, I don't know if I should go inside there. And Peter, as an older man, says, I'm going in. And, you know, and so... John outruns him, but Peter goes into the tomb first. And it's like, John, get in here. He's not here. He is, and he's like, he has risen as he has said type stuff. And so I think it's important for us to know these people so we can identify our life with their life. And so if I'm a teenager listening to this podcast, if I'm someone who's considered young, you can serve God. But you can also serve God in your older years as well. And so there's this idea that, well, i got to be a certain age, or i got to be a certain way, a certain thing. And I think what John shares with us is you can be anybody as long as you're available. And I think that's the importance of, of studying John and his life personally. Yeah. So, But, yeah, I, I love the fact of who he is. I love, I love the fact of his stories. John's not worried about chronology because some of these stories are not in the right sequence. Right. And people are like, well, you see, there's the mistake in the Bible. No, you got to understand what's, who's he writing to, why is he writing it. And so once we understand those things, we begin to put these things into high gear. Can you actually say those questions again? Because I think that's so great of when we are reading the text, just some, some tools to, that we can have to read through. So it was, who, who is he writing to? Yeah, so you, you want to know who, who's he writing to. And John is writing to a Hellenistic culture, both Jews and Gentiles, which means they have been touched by Greek culture. So there's going to be some of that intertwining in his writings, as, as you, you know, the idea of Asclepius, the god of Asclepius here. Yeah. Um, or you had the other god with, uh, with the baptisms that he spoke with about in, with Nicodemus. Um, so, we, so we have these different ideas, these different ideas that are coming from the Greek culture that John's including that his original audience would have understood. But here we are a couple thousand years later, and we're like, um, who's this, Clippus? Yeah. You know, who, what's this baptism with a bull above your head, and you're, you're showering in its blood? You know, so it's all foreign to us, but we got to understand the context. So that's important. we got to understand um, the geography. Mm-hmm. That's important. Where is this at? Why the Pool of Bethesda? Why 
at night. Why even mention clippers? Like, why why is that important? There are certain things, you know, just as, as you guys are reading reading through the Bibles of uh, you know the Bible, who who is being written to right now? Who's mm-hmm. being who's being addressed? Who's the audience? Is a great question yep. to ask because yep. sometimes that's it's so easy for us to take things out of context that it's just it wasn't written at, the, at that at for that kind of culture at that time. So. Who is being written to? Why are certain things mentioned? Why does it matter? Yeah. So you're like, okay, why why you bring... There's no Asclepius wrote in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. But in the Greek culture, there was a great god called Asclepius. Mm-hmm. And he was a god of health. He was a god of medicine. And what they believed was water and medicine. Water and medicine went together. Like healing. Healing. Yeah. Water and healing were the, was the components to this. So what does John bring to us? He brings to us Jesus, who's known as the great physician, who's known as the great healer, to the pool of Bethesda, where there's this Greek god, Asclepius, who believes water, healings from water. So what, what is the whole context of this, the, the, the man with the infirmity of 38 years? What's this whole idea? I got to get to the water. I got to be the first one into the water. And Jesus is like, no, you just need me. You just need me. I'm the great physician. I'm the great healer. And that, but if we don't understand the culture and we don't understand the audience, it gets lost. Yeah. And, and we're just like, okay, so first one in is it. And that's how I think this man felt. And Jesus comes saying, listen, no, you don't understand. There's no it there. I'm it. Yeah. Take up your bed and walk. And, and he does. And people, you know, I didn't approach this yesterday, but people may ask, well, why didn't he heal everybody there? And I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Um, I know that John says that he did much more than what he wrote. Mm-hmm. But I think Jesus had a purpose. We know it's on the Sabbath. We know this man's had infirmity for 38 years. We know that this man is approaching this water as if it's the healer rather than Jesus is the healer. And I think, I think what John is picking up on is Jesus had a purpose to break some of this mentality that Asclepius was the healer, mm-hmm. that water is the healer. Now, in this period, water's life. We get that. But Jesus is life. Thus, the idea, any man who thirsts, let him come to me, unto me and drink, and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So that's how we're trying to tie all this together. That's how we're trying to tie um, this concept together of John chapter, these, these, wa- these water references in John 1 through 6. Yeah. So let's just kind of recap. So just going over our our water water um, just order. So one was the water of creation. Creation. Yep. Two was uh, water into wine. And then three. Uh, the water from birth. And then four uh, is um, the woman of Samaria. So it's the water at the well, living water. Living water, and then five, which is what we're on. Pool of Bethesda. Yes. This idea of healing water. Yes. And so here here we have creation. And we have all these things that kind of fall into place. Now, there's many other stories in these chapters. We're specifically looking at the water ones. Yeah. So, I mean, there's other ones we could have chose, but, but we're trying to stay on topic with water. And so that's the reason why we're choosing these water ones, because we're kind of coming to this climatic moment where Jesus speaks, out of me come these, or out of the, out, any man who drinks from me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. How do we know we have Jesus? Yeah. How do we know we're just not some religious group of people? How do we know we're just not fanatic? How do we know we're just not... The, the worst thing that ever happened in life is I lived my whole life thinking I have Jesus only to find out in eternity I don't. Yeah. 
And so if we can come back to these points and say, hey, listen, I may not get it, but I'm in the process of it. Or I may get it right away like the woman of Samaria, or I may be like this guy and people just don't know. But our, our job, shepherding now, is to try to point people to Jesus. It's their job. It's their responsibility as well to make the decisions to, to, to grow their relationship. We just want to put the tools in the way to help them. Well, thank you guys for joining us for, for episode one. And uh, just kind of just wanting to end, we just wanted to ask one question just to kind of end our time. Um, so, Pastor James, you kind of said we want to point people to Jesus, and yeah. that's kind of the best. That's that's our call. But how do how do you how would you say that we do that? Pointing people to Jesus because sometimes we people can get it wrong and just yeah. kind of say it's that way or point out the things that are wrong. I think we gotta know who he is, you know. And the only way we know who he is is by studying his word. And so John says he is the word. The word was with him, and he was and he was. And so if I can know who he is, I'm going to have a much better shot. You know, I said opening up with this first podcast was if we aim at nothing, we hit it every time. We may miss the mark sometimes, but let's miss the mark by ignorance rather than pride. Let's, let's, let's be light that Jesus called us to be. Let's be salt that Jesus called us to be. Let's be kind. Let's be merciful. Let's be these things. And if I, if I miss it for some reason, be humble about it and get forgiveness and let's get back up on our feet and let's let's try again so that's i mean that's how i think we need to handle this this idea that we got to be right all the time or we have to have all the right answers i think has got the church into big trouble yeah and there's just, there's just miles of grace for the gaps that we we just miss and jesus comes in and fills those gaps and um give give people grace yeah <laughs> everybody's gonna have a bad day yeah. everybody's gonna have grumpy moments everybody's gonna say something that they may not even mean to be bad, but it comes across that way. And we just sit back and say, I can't believe he or she's a believer in Jesus. And we, and we, what do we do? We go right to judging, right to condemning everything that we don't want anybody to do to us. We do to others. And we got to be careful of that. And I think even to, again, just the more, just, I, I love what you said of just, you know, what's the main point of how, how can we point people to Jesus? Well, we have to know him. And the more time that we spend studying, we we just find the more that you guys comb through this text and there's just there's so much richness in there and things that we just that i i was taught that i didn't know before and i come away with jesus is better than we ever knew mm -hmm. um and i just and even you know when we say give people grace that they didn't even need to do that yes and also on the other side of the coin those interactions hopefully won't be some people won't be as grumpy those days yes. or not just grumpy or just they're choosing patience yeah. why because we know who jesus is and if we say that we're following jesus that's going to come out through our lives yeah. uh, with peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control yep these are the fruits of the spirit you yep. know yep so thank you guys for joining us um, for this first episode. We're super excited yeah. to just kind of keep going into um, the weeks to come. But if you guys have questions, please leave them in the comments. Um, just ask us. We'd love to ask, just kind of bring these questions to light and kind of flesh them out. And because if you guys have questions, if one person has a question, so many other people probably have the same question. Yep. Thank you. <laughs>